Welcome to the Next Level Show, where we talk with people behind Next Level ideas, products and technology, changing the world around us. I'm Lubo Smith, the co-founder and CEO of STRV. And my guest today is Will Allred, the co-founder of Lavender, the number one AI sales email coaching platform that helps sales teams write better emails faster. In this episode, Will shares email outreach mistakes companies make over and over again, and how Lavender's AI actually helps humanize your interactions instead of fully automating a message that's gonna get deleted by the recipient in a split second. So let's dive right in. Thank you so much for hopping on the show. I'm very much looking forward to find out how to draft uh, the best email out there to get a response because I feel like this is going to be the name of the game for today's discussion. Yes, and let me tell you, it's not as hard as it sounds. So I'm I'm looking forward to digging in. All right, amazing. Like what you are building with Lavender, Lavender is the product that you started in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I've been improving and yeah, basically building it up to help people, especially on the sales side, to find a way how they can increase their chances to get a response, how they get they can get better in crafting the best emails out there. And it seems like it really connected with what's happening in the AI world these days. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting, right? The, the whole AI craze has really blown up recently, but it's, it's just been a part of what we've done since the early days. I actually remember cold, e- cold emailing Greg, the CTO over at OpenAI, like in our early days and getting like beta access to their API. So it's it's not something that's like net new to us. In fact, it's more of just like a, a tool on the way, but yeah, man, it's uh, yeah, a tool predominantly used by salespeople, but at the end of the day, we're just helping people write emails that the other person would actually want to read and respond to. Well, to kick things off, I would love to hear from you where you think is the fine line between augmenting and automating when it comes yeah. to like powering the whole communication. Yeah, I think this is a an interesting like topic to get into because it's if you think about the the world of social media, it doesn't really love nuance, and so the the classic like oh, automate everything, like AI is going to do it all. It's not. It, it'll definitely have a role along the way in in a lot of interactions, but I think there's also a missing aspect to this, which is yeah, do we really want it to do everything? right? Like people, everybody kind of really loves this idea of having an easy button sort of where they can be lazy and and not have to do their job. But at the end of the day, like they, they still have to do the work to, to get the, the end work out of it. And so some of these things, sure, they can be automated. Part of augmenting is automating, right? If you think about what our product does when we're, you know, if you pull up somebody's email address, like we're going to showcase insights on that individual. We're going to make it, we're going to prompt you with different ways that you could start that outreach based on the research that we're pulling in. Those things are technically automations, but they're augmenting your process for writing a quality email. Or like you could look at us rewriting 
sentences on behalf of a user. Technically, that's automation, but the way we're structuring it, the way we're designing the product experience is augmenting, right? Where we don't want the seller in the back seat, we want the seller in the front seat, and we want them to have control over that experience because from what we've seen out of AI today, it's just not there when it comes to creating this messaging that's human feeling. It's ready for for prime time. And so that's where we really stand when it comes to this idea of augmentation versus automating. You know, we, we've got this tendency to lean really hard into efficiency as soon as it's available. But we we tend to forget about the long-term consequences of that efficiency. And really, we, we tend to forget about the lack of effectiveness that comes from that efficiency. Would you agree with the statement that AI is kind of lacking soul? AI is lacking soul. Yeah, I would, I would say that's an obvious. Because like for me, when I am crafting emails, I want to have an imprint on, okay, this is me writing this message. I don't want this to sound super generic. I, want, I don't want this to be like super dry. I also don't want to have like many cliches in, in the message. And I feel like there is these fine nuances yeah. where you just want to be you. And of course, like you want to improve it. You want to learn and so on. But I feel like you, wanna, you also want to be human. Yeah, and you can teach these tools to sound more like you, but at the end of the day, it's not you, right? It's something mimicking patterns that show up in your writing. And you know, if I say, you know, fill said void, it will fill said void. It doesn't matter what goes into it, right? And so while it's a fantastic mechanism for, you know, filling the blank page, it's not necessarily going to generate the thing that is perfectly crafted to be you. It's also not going to craft something that's definitely perfect for you know, that scenario and that use case and what you need for it to do. And so that's really where you have to keep the human in the loop. You have to keep that person in there so that they can, you know, one of our users refers to it as edit the robot out of it. And like, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. You have to edit the robot out of it because it's just like, it, it inherently doesn't have that feel, right? As soon as you tell OpenAI, like, you say, hey, write me an email. It starts every email with, I hope this finds you well. <laughs> it's, just, it's simple word associations, right? Even if like we're making fun of hope this finds you well, it associates hope this finds you well with writing an email, right? And so it doesn't necessarily catch that humor. It doesn't catch that sarcasm. I was just on a recording earlier today and we were reviewing an email that was clearly written by a robot where somebody was doing the like automated personalization. It was using a LinkedIn comment between Jen Allen on our team. And she was commenting really just like, you know, cracking jokes and like having some good banter with uh, Matt Green over at Sales Assembly. And yeah, the, the back and forth was like making jokes about like, I can't remember exactly what the joke was, but basically like the AI picked it up and was like, you know, love your commentary about Matt's son and like disciplining children. It was just like the weirdest, most convoluted statement, right? It doesn't understand <laughs> the nuance of human language in that degree or like the intent behind it because it only understands the words that are on the page. And so to your point about the soul, it's not necessarily 
soul per se. A lot of it is just like context, pulling in all of those data points from the edge to give a clean understanding of what it is that you're actually trying to put out there. What were the ins and outs of, you know, your background that informed you to start a product in this category? So my co-founders and I, we were building a marketing technology product for two years prior to this. And the the concept, are you familiar with like Humantic AI? I'm not, to be honest. Okay. Maybe like Crystal Nose. Well, you're probably familiar with like Myers-Briggs, like personality assessments, right? Yeah. Okay. So... What we were doing, Myers-Briggs isn't exactly like academically accepted. So we were using academically accepted personality science, taking online customer lists, segmenting those and helping individuals craft messaging to those underlying segments, right? So like an advertisement to an extrovert should look different than an advertisement to an introvert. The, The core challenge with that business was, hey, how do I write an ad that resonates with an extrovert versus an introvert. I, I don't know that. I don't have a degree in psychology. And so we started to build content tools focused around that. And at the start of 2020, yeah, there was this thing called COVID that happened. And, um, <laughs> oh, we don't that, remember that anymore. Yeah, what? Before COVID, that was a thing? No, it, it, basically the marketers that we were talking to in the automotive industry, in the direct consumer space, and the co-working space where you know, we were focusing our pipeline and and revenue efforts, like they all just kind of hit the pause button on anything experimental. And so we had a really short runway to figure out what was next. I remember being up in New York City at the time with my co-founders and Will Balance was looking at TechCrunch, saw an article that LinkedIn Sales Navigator was shutting down support for Gmail. And there used to be an old product called Reportive. That founder has since gone on to build an email product called Superhuman. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm a power user of Superhuman. Love great that tool. product. Great tool. The so this sort of gap in the market just opened up, and he was like, "I bet we could build that and at least generate enough cash flow to stay alive." And I remember being like, "Oh, we should like throw that content analytics tool in there. Maybe it like could generate some like interest or leads back to our marketing product." Turns out, like the combination of showcasing data on individuals in the inbox plus like insights on are you writing a good email was a pretty good idea and we ended up focusing and pivoting into that full time well and the rest is history right (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it was yeah a a lot of hard work you know behind the scenes to to make it work but but here we are today so what how would you describe the full suite of products that you currently offer sure i think the simplest way to describe it is there's context that you need, there's content creation tools that you need, and then there's coaching tools that you need. And we're offering all of those within a single Chrome extension and web dashboard. So if I'm going to write an email, we're pulling in insights on the recipient and the recipient's company to help provide context for you as you go to write that email. So you can do your research, you can craft that point of view so that you actually have a like a really decent reason for reaching out to somebody versus like, hey, at our company, here's all the things that we do, right? People don't really care. What they care about is you understanding their situation and the problems at hand. Now, you've got all this information and you have to go start writing an email, right? And so this is where generative AI can be really, really helpful is helping put pen to paper, get something on page 
And so we use generative AI tools to, you know, craft messaging on your behalf, take some of that research, kickstart that email, and then we use AI again to edit said email. So what we're looking for are trends in your email data that predict whether or not you're going to get a response based on what we're seeing on the page. And yeah, we give you a score, zero to 100, and you can like really hone and craft that message. So we'll show you exactly what's hurting your chance of getting a response, whether that's like the formatting, whether it's what you're saying, or maybe it's like just the tone that you're striking. We'll showcase all of those things. And again, use generative AI to give you some recommendations and suggestions on how you could do it differently. You know, really providing that like data-backed coaching real time. And then thinking about for managers, as well as like those non-real-time moments, those times where you want to reflect, we have a coaching dashboard where you can dig in if you're on a team, you can learn from your peers on what they're doing. You can also just dive into the nuances of what's making your content perform in different scenarios, whether it's a follow-up or you know cold email or reply, et cetera. How would you like be able to dive in a bit more about how the AI actually works? How how it works and like how do you make sure that it keeps improving? What are the things that you feed into it to make it better and better? Yeah. I mean, we're feeding it millions of emails every single week, as well as the reply rate data associated. And so we're always adding new valuation metrics on top of email. So we're rolling out quite a few new things within like our beta program related to like content categorization that we're mapping back against real live time results, right? And so what we're doing within the scoring algorithm is like every 30, 45 days, we're just refreshing, reanalyzing, and making sure that the entire system is like purely optimized, but it's always, you know, running in the background. Can you also like spot some trends that things are changing over time that like at one point something might resonate a lot better and then over time it kind of fades out? Yeah, this time last year, SalesLoft was talking a lot about personalized emails, getting 2x more replies. That has only magnified in the past 12 months. We're right now looking at 1,200% more replies for those manual emails versus like the automated ones. The, uh, the, the trends related to email length have always been interesting to me. Like when we first started, it really didn't matter how long your email was, but then it like became very clear that like 125 words was like perfect. And then like the bottom fell out and that pattern became like, dead and it was like this really long email or a really short email then like the really long ones fell off which like you might notice like gong has some like data published around like long emails performing well that's what i'm actually referencing when i'm like long emails were working and then that fell away right and then it became like really really short and now what we're seeing is like the tolerance for like you know instead of 25 to 50 words the tolerance has really started to grow for like that 25 to 75 word email and that's by and large due to like if you're really going in depth on personalization you do need a little bit more wiggle room but it's not a excuse to go talk about yourself where you're going to maybe fill out like 100 125 words do you also like look at some kind of social proof that is included in those emails, like dropping some familiar names and provide like just providing, okay, like I know that, I know that, maybe there's a chance that I should respond. 
Yeah, that that sort of leans into some of the things we're rolling out in beta. But the the thing that I think of that you're talking about in particular when it comes to social proof is a lot of people love to drop like stats in their email. We're actually finding right now that hurts your chance of getting a response. The some of the other data points that fluctuate a little bit more wildly is are things related to like subject lines, right? Depending on your business, depending on who you are and what you sell, different styles and formats of subject lines might work better or worse than like others. So like the general best practice is like one to three words, uh, no punctuation, capitalize the first letter of all the major words. And then, yeah, basically that's it. Like don't include numbers. And I like that for most businesses, but sometimes like lowercase is working better for some companies. Sometimes question marks are working really well for some companies. One data point that I really love is SalesLoft published this, which is related to using a first name within that subject line, hurts your chance of getting a response. So it'll increase your chance of getting an open, which people love. And then like you're actually hurting your chance of getting a reply. And a lot of that's just due to pattern matching. People get kind of used to seeing the same thing over and over again, right? So like if it says like Lubo, you know, want a two extra reply rate question mark, right? Like, you know, it's either from the marketing department or it's definitely going to be a sales message. Yeah, a little too salesy. Yeah, exactly. And like, as soon as you remove that first name, it's still not great, but it's immediately better. And so as you are scoring all of those messages, what is the ideal score to to aim for when you are crafting an email? Yeah, so we set up the system on that zero to 100 scale. And I think one of the biggest flaws in that is people seem to be okay with Bs. <laughs> They're like, oh, 80 to 90 is perfect. And you're like, you can write a really bad email in the B range. Like if you're thinking about like the grading curve, right? Most emails are falling at about like an 82. What we'd like to see is most emails falling around like a 92 to a 95. That's where like we really see the quality of that like copywriting start to improve. Now, if it's an automated message, if it's like just general like nonsense that like you've just crafted in the right way to master the score cool you game the system but like you're not gaming the person on the other end and that's where like i always encourage people to like look at it through this lens of like human to human like i'm talking to you i'm trying to strike a conversation and then use the scoring as like you know bumpers at the bowling alley to make sure you're staying in line with like how they're going to perceive that message and how they're best optimized to to read through it and reply to it so you have a, a great tool that can really help to craft a perfect message to get the highest chance for a response. But let's look on the flip side. What do you think are like the biggest mistakes that people make when crafting messages via email or social media when they are just like trying to reach out to somebody? Yeah, a big trend that I'm seeing right now is people really treating, okay, it's like we've hit the drum of personalization is important, right? And so people are like, cool, I need to personalize my email. And then they treat it like a box to check instead of thinking about like, why am I personalizing this email? And it's like, they, they think about it from like the seller's perspective, which is like, cool, my job here is to like, create a preview text that like gets them to think that I wrote this email just for them so that they'll open it and then they'll read my pitch. And that's like, that creates one, 
like this really annoying moment for the buyer who's like, cool, this is written for me. And then they read it and they're like, wait a minute, this is just you talking about yourself, right? <laughs> the the thing that I always encourage sellers to to recognize is personalization is a process, not a box to check. And that means what you're doing when I'm, let's say I'm, I'm reaching out to you, Lubo, and I'm, I'm trying to do my research before I craft a message. Well, like the easy thing would be like, hey, saw your podcast, super cool. We sell this following product, right? Like that's the checkbox. Where like, I just, sorry to Stefan, I just got the, exactly that message that like, <laughs> oh, I listened to your podcast. It's so good. And by the way, here I'm selling this. Would you like it? And and I felt so bad. I felt so bad. Like, I like for a moment, I was like, yes, I'm happy. Okay, you are listening to my podcast. Great. But then I realized, oh no. But then you're like, oh, you're lying to me, right? <laughs> like you have this immediate gut response of like. They might actually listen to my podcast. So I feel this like weird tinge of like resentment meets reciprocity where I'm like, do I reply? I don't know. <laughs> and like the problem is like since A doesn't really connect with B, it's really hard for that to like create relevance in that messaging. So like there's a lot of banter online about like relevance versus personalization. It's like neither really are anything without one another. And so like, yes, I can create an automated like trigger that's super relevant. But at the end of the day, like if only 5% of people are shopping for whatever it is, right? Like that's the only people I'm going to really resonate with. And so like instead, I got to think about it as like, I'm doing this research to craft like a point of view to start a conversation with this person, right? And so I'm going to go through, I'm going to like run my process. I'm going to know where I'm going, what I'm looking for, and then as I gather those pieces of information, hopefully like me being on a sales team in this scenario, like I know how to go plug those pieces together to create a message on the other end so that when I reach out to you, it's like, saw your podcast, so interesting to learn that you're using Riverside. I'm curious when you're setting up events, have you ever had any trouble getting people to come on board and get set up, right? And like, I don't need to say anything more. And the reason I don't need to say anything more is because like the little you know, signature down below is basically going to be a giant billboard for what I do anyways, right? So like back to that like AI driven example I was mentioning earlier with Jen and like this weird contraption of AI not necessarily understanding the banter online. The like the whole message was about like leather craft goods. Like A and B didn't connect at all, right? But in reality, like they don't even need to talk about the leather craft goods. It could be like, hey, I saw the team was just at like Saster Europa. I bet you got a ton of like swag items that you just like immediately threw away and you haven't thought about since. Yeah. Curious. Have you thought about like swag that lasts a little bit longer? And like, that's all you need to say. And then the signature line is just like custom craft leather goods, right? And like your brain's immediately like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's totally true. And then you just like go straight to like the signature line to like check the credibility and credentials of whoever is the note. And you're like, huh, okay. I kind of see, oh, yeah, I see where they're going. Yeah, that, no, that that's exactly right. And I feel like people often try to like push it too much. If you are establishing a relationship 
Like, it's not about like putting it in the face of people. I do this. Here is my company. Check it out. We can help you with this and that. We double your revenue and so on. Like, I, I feel that like you should be taking like little steps rather than like putting it right in the face of the people that you are trying to approach. At least like in yeah. my eyes, like I always, I, I don't want to, I, I never want to sound too salesy. I want to yeah. be here. Here, here I am. This is what I do. I'd like to build the the relationship. And here is something cool that I can I can share with you to at least like provide a little bit of the initial value. Yeah, it's just it's an invitation to a conversation, right? And like I think where most sellers get that wrong is like they they fall into like the the M M&M and M problem, which is I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but it's like. You got like one shot, one opportunity. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, they're like, this is my only chance. Like, God forbid I ever follow up on this email. Like, this is it. And so they try to like jam pack as much like information about them as humanly possible into the message so that like the reader has context on what they do. And it's like the reader probably gets it. And like if if the reader can't get it within like six words, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, we sell leather craft goods, right? Like super simple, didn't require three paragraphs about all the different things you provide, right? And like this goes for like the same thing with like AI technology, right? Like if I'm talking about lavender, right? I don't need to talk about like, listen, we do generative this, we have our own in-house LLM, that, like no one cares. What they care about is the outcome that we're driving based off of whatever the situation and problems are, which is... We help sellers write emails that don't suck, right? Like that's all they need to know. Simple. It's simple. So simple. Yeah. And it's like, stop trying to sound smart. It's just like, simplify this down to what they need to truly understand. Was the AI always part of the, the product vision, even in the early days? Or that's something that you have included a little bit later on? Yeah. So, I mean, as... As I mentioned earlier, as we were talking about like the marketing product, we we started to recognize the importance of those content analytics tools and like making that real-time feedback engine for when you're writing. So when we got started with the Lavender product, you know, it was always part of the vision. It was always a piece of the product. That's obviously gotten way more sophisticated, way smarter, way better as we've gone along. And then Adding, adding, adding generative into the mix. I'm like blurring words together. Adding generative to the mix, you start to recognize like how much is really possible and how fast it's possible. Which that's been one of the really cool things. Yeah, where before we'd have to hire like a full data science AI team, probably like yeah, at least out of the gate, like a million bucks in like annual salary per year, like to get this going. Now it's a few API calls, which is like kind of wild to fathom. And it's why you're seeing, and it's why I think a lot of founders in the space kind of have it wrong, but like you're seeing a lot of companies now, like product teams getting their hands on this and they're like, this is really easy to work with. And like, they're just like slapping generative AI all over their product, to like catch onto a hype cycle and stuff. Now we'll see how deep they go with the tooling. But I see a lot of folks building in the space and they're like, you know, basically just trying to create a clever front end on top of GPT where they can like capture some sort of upside 
And the problem with that is the whatever you're selling, there needs to be like an application layer that is inherently valuable sans generative. Right? Generative could be native to it, could be a big piece of it, could be, you know, core to why it works well, but like you need to have an application layer that's inherently helpful. It can't just be like access to generative. And so I think a lot of companies have started to lean into that more, which I think is great. I have also seen other companies fail to do that. And I'm like, it'll be interesting to see how your business does in the face of like a new chat GPT driven headwind, right? Like I think chat GPT is about to roll out like where you can like store files and stuff on like site so that like it's more custom to you. It's like a lot of that stuff is just like, you know, it's great for, you know, the open AI team. But like if you're not building an inherent application layer that like serves a specific role and purpose, then, you know, it's it's hard to have defensibility in that world. I feel like that we are in a gold rush era of leveraging the tools that OpenAI provides right now. And yeah. there is a huge demand for it. There, like We have seen it with just the amount of monthly active users that they are getting, right? People are crazy all about it. Yeah. And like, if you, like right now, it's the time when you just create a new interface. Maybe you design an interesting prompt and you immediately have customers. But yeah. from my point of view, this is not going to last long because like people will get used to it. It will be simpler and simpler. And like you need to be creating a lot deeper value for your product to stay relevant in the future. Yeah. Well, and if you think about like prompt engineering in of itself, like that is, in my mind, it's a where a lot of the applications are going to take advantage of the gold rush, right? Because like if particular prompts and prompt structures are working well, and then like you can learn to like hose data in, in a way where like it makes the results much more reliable, much more effective. Like that's really key to like having success with that product. I have a very interesting topic that I would like to move into now, and that's like email communication as a whole. We are like, we still use this legacy type of communication, and it seems like no one can really come and beat it. And it's like, to me, it's powering the world right now. Mm -hmm. And I like from my perspective, I think the robustness of what it can do and how it works and functions is insane. But I would love to hear from your perspective why you think that we still rely on email and a huge chunk of our communication is happening there. Although yeah. we know that like there needs to be a lot of different hacks to go about that. Man, I'm at like I'm going to put on my like crypto bro hat and I'm going to be like, well, it's a decentralized like application layer. It's like <laughs> the original. Nah, it's, I, I do think that has a huge role in it, right? Which is like anyone can spin up an email address. Like you don't have to technically use Gmail or like Microsoft or Zoho in order to have email. Those application layers mm -hmm. make that protocol much more like easy to use and like apply. But I think that at the core of it, it's like it's very 
robust. It works exactly as you expect it to. Like, there's a reason like that it's stuck around the way it has. Now, I think we've tried our darndest to kill it a few different times with like automations and and different mechanisms for sending a lot more emails and you know tools like Gmail. Well, I, guess I should probably say platforms like Gmail and like Microsoft Outlook. They've done a great job at protecting that end user experience with spam filters. And, you know, we're going to see this trend happen yet again, where like first was like, yeah, uh, okay, we're going to hit the Gmail API instead of sending through this other like email protocol in order to like make it show, look like it showed up directly from you. That way that get lands in the primary inbox. But then like Gmail got smart and they're like, wait, you're sending a lot of emails really fast that aren't getting replies. And now a lot of people are using sequencers or landing in spam. And like that'll continue to get worse and worse because, you know, Google's going to punish that bad behavior. So is Microsoft. And then, you know, and if you think about it too, it's like kind of funny. You're doing all of these behaviors on their platform to other people on their platform. Like they're well aware of what you're doing. And like, if you need a, a better example of like, where that goes wrong, did DMs is another great example of this. Where, ooh, you touched a very sensitive subject right now. Yeah, well, people send a ton of LinkedIn DMs, and then Microsoft has gotten savvy, and they're actually starting to put people in the other tab on that like little inbox. And you think about it, like that's your personal reputation, where like Microsoft has decided you're spam. As a human being, you are spam. <laughs> it's like kind of wild, <laughs> kind of wild to think about. Like if you're just showing up in the other tab, you have to like create a whole new profile and start. Aye, aye, aye. That's um, bad. Your, your social credit score is zero. The the last thing I'll note on that though is like AI is going to exacerbate this problem. Like because people are going to be like, oh, sick, easy button, let's go, and there'll be like a small little blip of success, and then like spam filters and mental spam filters will pick up on it and it will tank and it'll just happen in the exact same cycle that we've seen with sequencers. I feel like I personally created a mental spam filter for LinkedIn messages. Mm -hmm. And like, I assume that you get so many LinkedIn messages as well. But for me, like I'm able to spend like a split second and I already know that this is like a, uh, a salesy pitch that I'm not interested in. And to me, I, I can spot it like miles away. And for me, like LinkedIn as a platform has become like the place where I extremely rarely get something that is relevant. Like either I recognize the name and I know where it's coming from, but like, I, yeah, to me, this is like, I can see it miles away. Yeah. And it's LinkedIn creates a really unique inbox experience for like your brain to process the message, right? Because you get the notification on your phone and I'm like, I'm looking to see if I have one, but like you look at the notification on your phone and like you see the first line alongside the name and then you're on your desktop and it like pops open this little teeny tiny box and you see the very bottom of the message. And so all of the training that people have gotten on personalization in email all of a sudden doesn't apply anymore because people are seeing the bottom of the message where like 
all of that personalization you put up top just doesn't exist. Yeah. Find time and all this stuff. And then like, yeah, LinkedIn does a great job with like link previews and stuff. So like, they'll just shove your message out of the way and like put a giant like calendar linking. (laughs) Link Immediately filter it out. For me, like a hack that I use personally when reviewing these messages really quickly is that like, if I see that there is already multiple messages and it's just like someone following up again and again and again, then it immediately goes to like, okay, I'm archiving or or like <laughs> deleting this because like yeah. I'm part of like a, a chain of messages and like sometimes they don't even get the name 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 right or like they yeah. just like pick yeah, the, the first title they see on on LinkedIn and like there's many of these like big mistakes. Yeah, the uh, I'm loving the you bring up the name thing because people always comment on like the little purple heart next to my name on LinkedIn as like, oh, it's such clever branding. And I'm like, it's literally just a spam detection tool. <laughs> if I see purple heart will love blah, 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 right? Like I immediately know. <laughs> it's just me trying to protect my mental bandwidth. You mentioned archiving though, which I know you're a superhuman user. So that that makes total sense. Are you archiving messages in LinkedIn? I like on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, I I usually just like mark unread the messages that I want to take care of. And then if I read them and I don't respond, then it like it acts the same way as archive. But with email, I, I aim for inbox zero. I'm, I'm here for that. I'm, you can appreciate that. I'm currently sitting around. Let's see. What's my number right now? It's not zero. (laughs) 64. <laughs> oh, okay. It's too high for me. I don't like it. I'm at um, I'm at two, so I but I'm also almost finishing up my day. You are quite early, so you have some catching up to do. Yeah, the problem is it's been at like 64 for a few days, so here we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting, but I'm, you know, I'm constantly just trying to scoop water out of the boat where it's sinking, you know. <laughs> So do you feel that there's still a bright future for email communication? Of course. Like- I, I think an interesting trend, as we talk about LinkedIn as well, is like the multi-channel approach that a lot of sellers as well as like just human connections are happening on. Like I've got, you know, customers and prospects and investors that I'm talking to via text message just as much as I'm talking to via like LinkedIn DM just as much as I'm talking to via well email but I was gonna say way less frequently Twitter DM and so like I think about all of these different channels and like that's just me in like a b2b SaaS context right you've also got folks who are on like Instagram DMs and like you know TikTok DMs that are way more like in-depth on those platforms and I can't even imagine how overwhelming it is. So I think I do think there is a really strong play for somebody who comes in and consolidates all of those messages into a single place because it is way too hard to like prioritize across all of them. It's impossible. Yeah. I have like 20 different apps for messaging and I can't yeah. like keep all of them under control. Yeah. And you got Slack too, like add that to the mix. Oh yeah. Cause now like folks are doing like Slack connects with other companies that they're connected with. And it's like just another thing that I have yeah. to go check and it sucks. 
But do, do you feel that there's a chance that one day it could be all consolidated into one interface? You see all of the incoming messages because like, yeah. I, to me, it feels like a lot of heavy lifting on all sides. Yes. I I know there's one company out there called Text, text.texts.com that's trying to do it. But I feel like it's a larger platform play where like a company like Apple might just like make a move and consolidate it all because it's annoying for their individual users. And that would be a huge like, you know, value add. Same for like Android if you're able to do that, right? That in my mind is like where it goes eventually is like it just consolidates. But the uh, maybe some of them don't like, you know, because Slack has its own organization system. But uh, I feel like Slack is its own beast because like it's not me. just messaging, but it's super uh, complex communication with like very fine details. Like we have a lot of processes at STRV tied to Slack channels and Slack automations and everything. And like, you can't really fit it with the other communication channels that it would work together. Yeah, that's Scott Lees, who's one of our investors. He he made it some tweet a while ago talking about like, you, you traded the, the devil you knew for, you know, the one that promised you productivity or something. And like, he's just like, <laughs> <black is> miserable. <laughs> And he's not wrong in any way, shape, or form. It's like it's a nice like design for how it's all like parsed out. But like I look at something on my phone, it's immediately like no longer a notification. I'm on my desktop trying to respond to it and I gotta find it. And like I know there's ways that you can make those things like work better, but like it's not intuitive, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think it's like with the amount of features that are like being added, like it's a very complex system for a new person that is just jumping in yeah. must be super overwhelming. Yeah. If if Superhuman launched a Slack competitor, I'd be hype. That's all. I'm <laughs> do, you, do you personally use Superhuman as well? Yeah, I, I try out all those different email tools, right? I mean, when you live in this space, you have to. I found their user experience to be the stickiest for sure. That said, I, you know, as a founder in the space, I have to use Gmail yeah. so that I can use my own product, make sure I'm you know, familiar with what's working, what's not, and you know, ways that we can improve it for different scenarios. But I love what the team at Superhuman's doing. Yeah, there's, there's other ways that other companies have formatted the inbox. I think about companies like Front who've done a really good job with making a collaboration platform in the inbox. And then there's one other that I'm missing top of my head people really like spark yeah I, I think it's just like yeah classic google being a big company yeah. they can't keep up with some of this innovation <laughs> i have tried the spark it's i think also pretty sleek yeah that's I'm, I'm i'm interested to check out the i actually have time block today to play around with it superhuman launched their ai functionality so i've got to play around with that oh i should hit update then <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think it's a command K and then AI and then it activates. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll I'll try it out. Have you like been thinking about making a client rather than an extension? So like in, like bringing the experience a little further and maybe doing a bigger play, or you feel like you are well positioned with like enhancing the existing interfaces? a good question. I, I think about it from the end goal of are we helping users write the best possible emails in the most efficient way 
possible. Right now, we feel fine with the email tools that exist out there. Maybe as we start to stretch the boundaries of what we're doing, we find that we need to build our own native suite. But yeah, in current form, that's just not the case. We can do everything that we want to do and then some via like Chrome extension. The, the Chrome extension protocol is really helpful. It makes us really flexible to different workflows, and it makes it really easy for us to build out integrations in the into net new tools. And like earlier this year, you have managed to have quite some success on the fundraising front Thank when you. you secured your seed round. And if I did my do my research correctly, also another round shortly after that. Yeah. Was it the was it that the timing was right for the fundraise? Yeah, I, I do think it was. What's funny about it is my co-founder and I going into the trip out to San Francisco where that fundraise actually started, we were like, we're going to bootstrap this thing. <laughs> and like we were bootstrapping, like the business was operating, we were dipping in and out of profitability in a way that was like totally sustainable. And, you know, we, we you know, obviously see the bigger picture and we know what funding could do for the business. So when the right offer and the right partner came along and Scott Beechick and, you know, Sonny over at Signia, Scott over at Norwest, like it just, it made perfect sense for you know, the deals that we did to get done. So you were bootstrapping it all the way to suddenly raising $13.2 million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, I like, I like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, uh, it definitely is. Yeah. I think we were in the right place at the right time with a, you know, a good business that was already working, right? Like AI as a trend was definitely starting to take off in that moment. And like, instead of it being like an idea flash in the pan, we were you know, running a successful company that happened to use the technology in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, it seems like, you know, the, the timing really played in your favor, but like, that's, it's not a coincidence. It's like the hard work that you put in the years before, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I try to be modest and not really like go down that path, but like, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. You want to you see me get awkward really fast. <laughs> so what, what would be your personal advice to write a perfect email? My personal advice to write a good email is to spend more time researching than you think you should in the sense of taking the time to understand them, where they come from, how they're approaching the current status quo, then understanding like what's going on at their company in their industry so that you can formulate like a pure point of view on the business, right? It's not just like, oh, I saw your hiring, right? It's like, hey, given your hiring and your background coming from XYZ company now to this much smaller company, right? I now like have a hypothesis that's like really fleshed out about how you are approaching this particular problem, right? Where you start to layer in this depth of personalization that, you know, it's hard to, you really just can't automate that because it's just like too many things coming together at once in order to like craft a custom true message to that individual. The, the next piece of advice would just be like, stop trying to sound so smart. Like you should write to be understood, not to like be the smartest person in the room. So you don't need the buzzwords. You don't need to talk about your features or any of that jargon, right? Like when I talk about writing emails, like we help people write better emails. We help them do it faster. 
right? I don't need to talk about the AI. I don't need to talk about like personalization at scale and like robots, you know, whatever. It's just it's unnecessary. Just cut it out, right? Talk to the outcome that this person gets on the other end. The other piece would just be like, keep it short, right? Since you're not talking about yourself, there's really not that much to talk about. And so you don't need to say that much. Think of it as an invitation to a much larger conversation, not you having a conversation by yourself in this person's inbox with the hopes that they want to join in. So yeah, create that context, have a point of view, keep it simple, keep it short, and just focus on starting dialogue. Those would be the key things. Well, this is a great way to start crafting perfect emails. Thank you so much for a very deep insight. I feel like we could be talking about a lot of different topics, entrepreneurship and other stuff. Be very curious. Maybe we leave that for next time. But it was great getting insights into how to write the best emails and the whole journey that you follow with Lavender. So thank you so much for that, Will. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please follow us on whatever platform you used to listen to podcasts. And we'll be thankful if you leave us a review. That's it for now. Until next time on The Next Level Show.